a seat in front of you unless you're an overachiever like Reggie, who sits in the front row. Just saying, then you ain't got one. Um, make sure you fill those out. We want to pray with you. So if you have something going on, those get passed around to our staff and our intercessors. We definitely pray with you, for you on those. But we also want to hear all the good things that God's doing in your life. How many have had something good this year? Come on, we're only a couple weeks in. All right. Like I always say, the rest of you need to fill out a prayer request form. Just so you know, today is National Squirrel Appreciation Day. I know. Some of you are wondering why I'm saying that. I just want you to know. Anybody in here identify as a squirrel? Somebody is a little bit squirrely. Exactly. Exactly. Wednesday is National Compliment Day. You all look very nice. I love the outfits every week. I miss the bunny. Just saying. Friday is also National Big Wig Day. I don't know if that means like wig or like you're a big wig. Haven't figured that one out. Merry Christmas. That's, that was all for free. Okay, so tonight we have man cave. Well, not we. Guys, you have man cave tonight at 5 o'clock with Reggie in the kids' church. Right? There's food. and Meatballs. 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 So you got to go. 5 o'clock. Oh, sorry, Frank. You're going. Oh, and he's in church, too. We'll pray for you. All right, so that's tonight, 5 o'clock. Men, make sure you go. Also, January 27th at 10 o'clock, you may have seen online as well, is the pro-life walk, the walk for life. Make sure you go. That's an amazing thing. I know the church on Sanderson, was it Sanderson and Menlo? They always set up all the crosses. It's pretty amazing to see if you haven't seen it. They have a whole field set up of crosses for um, those that have lost life in abortion. Water baptism is next Sunday. How many need to be dunked or know somebody that does? We can hold you down, maybe. No, everybody's so quiet. All right, that's next Sunday. So here's the thing. Remember to bring a change of clothes and a towel, but if you don't, we have all your excuses covered, and we offer both of those. So there you go. February 4th is na ladies' night out. I don't see Jenica here. Jenica. She's ill. She's under the weather. I don't know. I wonder where that phrase started. She's recovering. All right. All right. Squirrel. Okay. <laughs> ladies' night out. February 4th, 5 o'clock. It's only for the ladies. Sorry, Reggie, you cannot attend. Wednesday nights will be starting on February 7th at 6.30. So here's the thing. There's a curriculum called Biblical Citizenship. I watched all the videos over uh, Christmas break. If you know anything about me, you know that I'm not a big fan of politics. Don't really get involved. I know, I was, I was switched at birth. It's strange. I know. It's where the curly hair comes from. So here's the thing. <laughs> Biblical citizenship. It's put on by the Patriot Academy, which is Rick Green, Kurt Cameron, and a bunch of others. It's an amazing curriculum. I'm not a big fan of politics stuff, but I'll tell you what, I watched the whole thing, and there's several weeks of videos, and there's a workbook. We're actually taking our government class out of our school that we normally do and putting this in its place because it was that good. So my suggestion, make sure you're here for that, starts on February 7th at 6.30 to 8 o'clock. We'll have kids' church and youth and all that kind of stuff with it. So, and pizza. All right, and pizza. Pastor Susan's making it. All right, Jersey Sunday which is on Super Bowl Sunday. I watch for the commercials and the halftime, but they're usually not any good. So make sure you come to church. So Sunday, February 11th, you get to wear your favorite team jersey. I didn't have time 
I didn't make time this time to go through all the amazing sports that you can wear a jersey for. I've done it before if you've been here. There's a lot of different sports that you can represent, like toe wrestling, wife carrying, cheese rolling. We've gone through all the pictures. If I get up and do announcements again before then, I promise I'll bring those back. So make sure on Jersey Sunday, February 11th, you wear your team jersey. Don't know what kind of t-shirts those things bring, but we get free hot dogs after service for that. Oh, I've got so many announcements. Okay, town hall meeting, February 28th, will be hosted at our church. Make sure you come. Those are normally hosted, I think, at 412. Is that right? <laughs> Squirrel. Okay. <laughs> February 29th, so make sure you're here for that. And also, giving records went out. So if you didn't get yours by email and you need it, please call the church office. 951-658-0717. Make sure we have your email address for that. Whew. All right. The best part of the service. Sorry, Pastor Bob. Best part of the service. The offering. So here's the thing. How many have ever, I don't know, maybe done something or been in an attitude where everybody else recognizes something is wrong, but you just don't admit it? You ever been there? The one with the best outfits. Okay, so here's the thing. I came across this photo. Some of you maybe have seen it online. It's a picture of a cow. There we go. So here, I, I know, aw. So here's the thing, though. Leave the photo up for a minute. Here's the thing about the cow. I just want to recognize some things. Somehow he's gotten his head through a tiny slot and a ladder, and yet he casually stands there. He's still eating. You recognize? He's still eating the grass around him. Everybody else can try to point out that there's something wrong, but it doesn't matter because there's nothing he's doing about it. It doesn't matter how close another cow wants to get to him. He's going to swing around and knock everybody out. It doesn't matter how much his friends want to help him. They ain't got posable thumbs, and they ain't going to get that ladder off his head. It's not working. There's a lot of things that he can keep acting like things are normal, when in reality, everybody knows there is something wrong. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I saw that squirrel. <laughs> but here's the thing. I have my, my very few moments, my husband, I'm sure, will say. When something is wrong, I tend to wear my feelings on my shoulder in the sense that I am fine. Don't ask me again. I'm fine. Women, how many have done that? How are you? I'm fine. Leave me alone as you mumble and walk away. I'm fine. Nothing is wrong. I'm fine. But uh, no, I'm fine. There's a ladder around your neck. No, there's not. There is nothing wrong. I am fine. But here's the thing that I've come to realize. I can pretend all I want, but sometimes I wear a ladder around my neck. And things kind of weigh me down. And I try to act like they don't. And I try to act like everything's normal. And people around me can try to help out. But I'm fine. Thanks for asking. You ever do that? You're like super kind in your words, but not really how you say it. I'm fine, thanks. <laughs> that really wasn't a thanks. But, you know, a lot of times I've noticed, especially recently, that it doesn't matter how much I say I'm fine. And it even doesn't matter how much my friends may want to reach out and help or my husband may want to reach out and help. Sometimes you just need God. You ever been there? Sometimes it doesn't matter. I love you guys. I love my parents. I love my family. But sometimes you just need God. 
You just need God to intervene. And that ladder is going to stay around your neck until the farmer with opposable thumbs can come by and help you get the ladder off of your neck. And until then, you're going to just be fine. And everybody around you is going to be knocked out because when you turn around to tell them, I am just fine, you knock the whole herd out. And they're all laying on the ground. How does this relate to offering? Let me tell you. Sometimes I want to act like everything is just fine. Thank you. No, I am fine. I don't need your help. No, I am fine. I have everything I've ever wanted in life. You ever done that? I'm living the dream life, thanks. <laughs> Sorry, that was just me. But here's the thing. When it comes down to it, at the end of the day, and I've said this over and over, at the end of the day when I go to bed and I lay my head down on the pillow and the lights are out and everybody else is asleep, it's just me. It's just me and God. And heaven forbid that the only person I have to turn to is the creator of the universe. Heaven forbid the one who created everything and can do anything is the only one I have to turn to. But I know at the end of the day, he is the one with the posable thumbs that can take the ladder off of my head, that can actually make me okay, that can actually help me in my finances, help me in my peace in life, help me in my health, help me in my relationships, and all the things that we deal with, all the stresses of life, everything around us, he is the one that is the only one that can ever do it. And this is what Psalm says. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. So let me remind you, I realize my offering's a little different. Take the ladder off of your head by trusting in God. And listen, at the end of the day, out of obedience, I would dare you, if you don't tithe, try it out. It's kind of like a ladder around your head until you really do. No, I'm fine. I got this on my own. No, you don't. None of us do. At the end of the day, it comes back to the farmer with the posable thumbs who can take the ladder off of our neck. So would you stand? We are going to pray over our offering. Lord, I thank you for every person that's giving today, every person who wants to give, who intends to give. Lord, I, I just pray a hundredfold back to them, back to the church. Lord, let it be spent every single dime exactly where you intend for it to be. And everybody said, amen. You can come up, put your offerings in the basket.
ready for God to do something? Here's the question. Do you know what you want him to do? You know, Suzanne really nailed it. I listened to that. She really nailed that issue. Unless you really know what it is you need, you don't know what to ask for. And then we walk around going, I don't know why God doesn't do this. And the Lord says, you didn't bother talking to me about it, okay? So hold your Bibles up. Here we go this morning. We're going on in a series. Say this with me out loud. This is my Bible. It's the living Word of God. Has the power to change lives. And I declare by faith that my life and the life of those around me will be changed by the Word. All right, go to the book of Acts. Go to the book of Acts, if you would, and go into a holding pattern in around chapter 4. Um, if you've been with us, you know that we've been in a series, and, um, and so we're going to go on in that series. This is the, the fourth part. And I, I do want to make an announcement before I really jump into the Word. I know a couple of you have commented, you know, you see a little bandage here, and you see a couple of spots on the side of my... I want to encourage you... I want to tell you, if you don't wear sunblock and a hat, somebody slap you and then slap whoever's letting you get away with it. Because I'm telling you, this is an announcement. I don't care how old you are. Wear a hat. Do what you got to do. Protect yourself from the sun. So when you keep asking me, what are all these little noogies? They're surgeries and they're Bob's stupidness for not wearing a hat. Okay? So say... Turn to your neighbor and say, wear a hat. All right, there you go. All right. I don't even want to know what's going on right now. Okay. Um, so we're in, the, uh, we're in a series, and we've been talking about living a life that is plumbed. The series explanation is about plumbing our life, living a life that is plumbed, and so that means you're going to live a life, and we've explained what a plum and plum bob is, that the only way to ever know what is truly level in life and correct is to have a plum bob. Now, today we have modern devices. We have bubble levels, and we have uh, laser levels and stuff like that. But even the ancients knew about plumb lines. And a plumb line, this is a plumb bob. I don't know why they put bob on the end of it, but plumb bob. And um, even the ancients did this. There are no building or structures, pyramids, buildings, whatever the case was, that were built without this. Because they didn't have bubble levels and they didn't have laser levels. And if you don't build something level, like a block wall, I use this in the example and if you see a block wall, media, if you give me the block wall, um, that you, you see a block wall, you see a line there that, that's a, obviously a horizontal line struck off a level line, that if you don't build everything, every block, every stone level, it's going to come out crooked and out of sorts. And so in the process, we've said this is a plumb that shows us level at any place on earth. You can be on the opposite side of the planet and put a plumb bob out, and they're both on that side and this side going to point to the center of the earth. And it'll always be level. 
And so we've been talking about plumbing our lives according to the Scripture. Because Jesus said he was going to build his church, and he was going to build it. He's going to build it level. And I, I gave you an example, a couple of pictures in, in the last couple of series, where if you have one stone in a wall that is out of plumb, it's visibly out of plumb. The wall's out of plumb. It, you lose, the wall loses its strength. And so we're plumbing our lives according to the Scriptures. Now, in the process of that, we've also said, and I've said to you, that this is plumb. And you can plumb a building by that, but you can't plumb your life by that. The only way to live a life that is circumspect, direct, level with the kingdom of God, along with the other stones, Jesus said he would build out of living stones his own church. You, in God's eyes, are an example of a living stone. And the only way for your stone to be level and correct and fit in a wall that is level and correct that Jesus said he would build his church out of is to build it out of the Word. And if you don't build it out of the Word, your stone is going to end up crooked at some point, and you're going to end up in a level wall, and you're going to stick out like a sore thumb, and you're going to weaken that wall. And if we come together as a people and we'll plumb our lives according to the Scriptures, then we'll move together, we'll flow together, and we'll accomplish what we as a church and as a community are supposed to do. And so I've given you, I've given you that example. Oops, and my, my example just fell apart. But what I was going to do was say to you that if you, if that was still working, you cut this, you're no longer plumb. You get out of plumb because you cut and run from hard issues. Huh? You, you don't cut and run from hard issues. That's why you have a plumb bob in your life, the Bible. And the Bible tells us all how to live our life through every circumstance and every situation. There's nothing life can throw at you that God's plumb bob doesn't fit and apply. Every situation in life. And so in the process, we've learned this, that Jesus is building his church and building it out of people whose lives are plumbed according to the Scripture. So uh, we had been going through a series of messages. Four sermons in the book of Acts serve as square, plumb for the church, then and now. They're not the only sermons, but these four sermons we've been talking about, and we've already accomplished the first sermon in the book of Acts by Peter. So I gave you a story in the beginning of this whole issue, and uh, I read it out of a book, um, uh, Vody Bachman, and... Um, and uh, in this story, Vody gave an example of a, of a people in a church that weren't exactly plumb. And what happened was uh, the pastor taught a principle about, and, and you know, I'm going blank on the, what, what was he teaching on the, go ahead. Oh, yeah, 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 1 Corinthians 5. Thank you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5, he was, this pastor was teaching his congregation about what Paul did. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a young man who was having an affair with his mother-in-law. 
And um, Paul addressed it, and they addressed it. And when they addressed it, they threw him out. They said, listen, if you're not going to change, if you're not going to comply with God's plumb line, and you're not going to live your life plumb, then you're out. Leave the church because you're not going to taint everybody else and look like the world and come in here and say you're a believer. Now, I'm not pointing at you. I'm not thinking about you. It's just I'm telling you what the story says. And so this pastor preaches that story and uh, that they threw the young man out, and some of the people in the church were upset. They thought that was very judgmental. As a matter of fact, one, one man, one of his parishioners came up and said, listen, I don't think that's right. That's not right. And the pastor said, that's in the Bible. You don't compromise in those manners. You don't let that happen in the church. And the guy said, and the pastor said, that's what the Bible says. And the man said back, as a believer, I don't care what the Bible says. And he also said, that's being too judgmental. And all of a sudden, you begin to see that there are issues in the church that we cannot avoid. But not being judgmental in a mean and a rude and a crude way. But we have to have a set of standards and a plumb to live by. And everything the world is doing is trying to shake up your plumb. Wish I could get that Bible out and use it. <laughs> but the world's trying to get the church out of plumb, and much of the church is compromising because she's not living according to the Word. Now, I'm not talking about you, but I'm talking about people that are not solid and firm in what God's Word says about morals and ethics. And here we are in a world and in a nation that's trying to strip the church of any simple ethics. And so in the process, I shared with you last week that um, there were blue laws that used to serve America. And I shared with you about the blue laws. The blue laws were laws where churches were open on Sundays and businesses were closed. They were laws. These were not suggestions. And some of you are old enough to remember those days when churches were open and businesses were closed. But eventually, sooner or later, the, the frog was boiled. And now people go to church when it's convenient. And not that, there, not, not that there can't be legitimate reasons why people shouldn't go to church because we don't want people to go to church religiously. Unfortunately, there are other people who go to church religiously. They don't go to have an encounter with God. They go to fulfill their obligation. Thank you. And so, and, and I'm sure you're not here out of a sense of obligation, but I applaud you because the whole issue is about coming together to meet one another, grow together with one another in God's Word. Now, um, I shared with you uh, out of uh, Vody Bachman's, you know, would you show that image of Vody, please, media? Um, Vody, incredible guy. If you, you know, I shared this three weeks ago, four weeks ago. If you haven't read this book, you need to read this book. Please, I'm begging you, you need to read this book. But listen to what he says. Uh, he drops some 
truth bombs in here about what's going on in the church in America. He says, the goal of this book is not to change America. The goal of this message is not to change America. Listen to what happens. Only God can do that. The goal is to change the manner in which we as Christians follow and respond to the modern trends within our culture. How we respond to everything our nation is trying to do to eliminate Christianity. Okay? Now listen, he says, I believe the attitudes we face are becoming more antagonistic. How many of you know that's true? Because of our efforts to capitulate. Now the word capitulate means surrender to. That we let society just go on and make their moral and ethical changes and tell people you can just run into a store and steal anything you want. You can mug, you can rape, you can murder, you can do whatever it is, and we're not going to put you in jail. And there's not going to be any, any matter of law that's going to handle this. And listen to what he says. The church is capitulating because the church isn't standing up saying, that's wrong. It's wrong. It shouldn't be done. But listen, he goes on. He says, in many ways, the church has begun to look too much like the prevailing culture and therefore unable to provide a viable alternative. Now, that's powerful. Now, listen, I want to read something else to you because if you get the book and you read it, listen to what he says. He goes on to say this. Christianity in America has been more American than Christian. Boom! That's a bomb. Listen to that again. Christianity in America has become more American than Christian. I am not speaking of a decline in morality here, though there is simple evidence that the lack of biblical morality in the modern American church has hampered our ability to effectively communicate the gospel. Because we, many, not saying you, but many as Christians have capitulated. They pulled back. They're cautious about saying that's wrong. And it's like the man who capitulated in his story. He capitulated because he said that's wrong. That's too judgmental. Now, let me finish with one more. Can you take one more? Say yes, because I'm going to do it anyway. Peter and John did not. Peter and John did not change for the sake of their culture. They simply lived for Christ. Listen to this: lived for Christ and preached the gospel. They lived for Jesus, preached the gospel. They did not adapt Christianity to the culture, nor did they seek to adapt the culture to Christianity. It isn't that we're trying to get America to be Christian. Because it was at one time. Now listen, he goes on. Their goal was to transform individuals by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. Changing lives. Making a difference. Living a life that shines in the middle of a darkness. In the workplace. In the marketplace. Not in a judgmental, self-righteous manner, but we live our lives openly, out loud, not being religious and doing things that push people away, 
but living the gospel, and that's plumb. But much of that has been cut off because Christians, not saying you, they're not reading their Bibles anymore, much less like I shared with you last week, they're not even going to church on a regular basis because they just don't yet understand how important their individual lives are and how important their individual and your individual, our individual lives as we encounter people that are not saved, that don't know the truth of the Scripture and they don't know the love of God. And in the first gospel sermon, Peter was spontaneous. You got to remember, I, I read that sermon last, uh, last week to you, and Peter got up after, at the day of Pentecost, and people were shapadapadooing, and people were walking around going, what the hell are your courses going on? And Peter looked around, and he saw everybody focused on one issue. And at some point, he must have yelled out to a crowd of thousands of people. And he said, ye men, and you righteous ones, and you read that sermon as we did last week. We're not going to read it again today. But he yelled out, and he dealt with the issues at hand. And when he preached the gospel, the influence of his simple, unprepared message, without lights, without cameras, without sound, without smoke, without mirrors, without air conditioning, in the open air, fed 3,000 souls were drawn into the kingdom. One sermon. And that's just one message, unprepared and unsolicited in that sense. And so we understand that it's not just that Jesus is coming back and any day now, it's but that Jesus, every day, people are going his way. Every single day, right now, today, somebody in this valley, in this community, either from the hospital or at home or, God forbid, anyplace else, people are leaving this world today. And they will never have a second chance. And that's what gripped the apostles. That's what gripped them, that they suddenly realized that they, they, they were serving a crucified and resurrected Lord and Savior that had come into their lives and forgiven them of their sins and implanted the hope of eternal future in them, and they couldn't be quiet. And they couldn't be silent, and so they went bold with the message of the gospel because they understood that the truth of the message of the Bible is judgment, that every single one of us one day, Christian or non-Christian, will stand before the living God and be judged for what we did with what he did for us. That's it. And we're going to be judged. Did you hear the message? Did you, did you live your life? Say, well, I'm a Christian now. I won't be judged. That's another sermon down the road. It's called Bema Judgment. But you understand that, 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 that the message that needs to be delivered 
by the church in America and to the church in America is that we understand that 329 times in the Bible the word judgment is applied, 79 times in the New Testament, and 25 times by Jesus personally warning people there is a day of judgment and there is a day of responsibility and accountability for the truth. And so the scripture in Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That we understand that we're going to give an account. Luke 16.2 says, And he called him and he said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thyself. In your own words, tell me what you've done with what I've given you. Yikes. It's getting quiet. Tell me what I've done, what you've done with what I've given you. I've shared eternal life with you. You've experienced forgiveness and, and compassion. You've experienced true love. You know what it's like to be born again. You know what it's like to have the, the hope of eternal life. You know what it's like. We uh, Friday, we, at National Cemetery, um, buried Susan's mother. And, um, you know, I've been to National Cemetery more, uh, more times than I even want to go. But um, as we were waiting to go from a staging place to the place of internment, I walked across the parking lot and I looked over a little knoll and I saw four backhoes. Four backhoes, double wide buckets, digging holes as fast as they could. Because that day, I don't know how many people, but there was, and I'm, please, I'm not exaggerating. I, I would have taken a picture, but I think it would have been out of place to do that. There must have been, I'm not exaggerating, 100 vacant, ready-to-be-used grave markers, and they were digging as fast as they could. And I just stood looking over that little knoll in the parking lot and just thought, I wonder how many of them ever heard the message of the gospel from someone in the, in the workplace. That, you know, maybe they heard it in church. But how many people don't go to church? And it, it is incumbent on us to remember that it's our responsibility that when we come together, we gather together as people who love the Lord and have been born again and have been saved and we have eternal life. But now it's our responsibility for the rest of the week to take church to them. To take it to them and how we live our lives and how we care for people. And Hebrews 10.25 says, Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more to see the day approaching biblically plumbed lives in worship. You, you did great worship this morning and you, you, you do great worship every Sunday. But it, it's incumbent on us that we remember that there's a reason why we come here, and that is to be encouraged, not so we can say we went to church, but so that we were encouraged as the church to go take the church to the world. Does that make sense? 
And so in our culture, it's kind of become okay to not show up on Sunday. And I understand that. Sometimes we have business or you have a job or whatever the case is. But I want you to understand in a first century church, that sermon that was preached, you understand that 3,000 people were saved, 900,000 people were in Jerusalem at that day for Pentecost. You listen, you, you, you go through all the scholars, a minimum, they say, of 900,000 people flooded a little city more than three blocks square. And it was an opportunity. And Peter saw it, and he seized it, he grappled with it, and he took into account that upwards of 900,000, only 3,000 got saved? What do you mean only 3,000? If you understand it, you go on and read the story, more got saved. There were two sermons. And in those two sermons, thousands of people were born again. Their lives, their names were written in the Lamb's book of life. Their name was written in the blood of Jesus. Bob, Beckett, April 1968 gave his life to Jesus. How about you? And is it fresh enough for you to remember? I mean, I've always tried to remember those times. I remember, I remember them, you know, forgive me if you've heard me say this before, but I remember sitting in a black Toyota Crown in a parking lot on a summer day, and this guy by the name of Ben took me out in the parking lot because I walked in, I, w I walked into his office, and I sat down in front of his desk, and I said, you get one chance at this. I'm done with you just telling me about all this Jesus stuff and leaving a Bible on your desk. If this Jesus you say is real, prove it to me. Because last night, I stuck a 16-gauge shotgun in my mouth, pulled the hammer back, and fell asleep. And woke up the next morning thanking God that the palm oil I was smoking didn't set the sofa on fire. And, and I got born. It doesn't have to be that dramatic to you. All I did is I went to work and I said, listen, you've been telling me about this Jesus stuff. I had some weird, strange thing happen to me last night. And I tried to kill myself and didn't kill myself. And I will never forget him saying, just pray this prayer. I don't remember exactly what he said. It was something, you know, I give my life to you. Forgive me of my sins. And wham! Has any, did anybody have a Wham! Did you, did you get saved or did you just get saved? I, I mean, I just, and, and listen, I was such a heathen. I looked up from that, that experience, and I looked at him, and forgive me, I'm just going to tell you what I said. I looked at him, I said, what the hell was that? <laughs> that, that? I was new. I was fresh. I was seconds old. But it was real. And, and don't let don't, don't let yourself escape or lose the remembrance of that. Don't, don't, don't let that go soft and become jelly-like in your life. Remember that. 
And you're not going to live backwards, but you're going to live forwards. And, and so you understand that in that message, and we're going to read the second message here, and I only have a few minutes, and I'm not going to get through the whole thing. But before we dive into that sermon, I want you to keep in mind that it's the shifting of lives, not to religion, but into a personal relationship with Jesus. Mono y mano, one on one. And that's why we come together in church. We weaken the church, whether it's this church or any other church, when we're a part of a church family and we just show up when we're in the mood. Because we feed one another, we fellowship with one another, and, and that's why your staff, the staff of this church, doesn't go backstage and hide, myself included. We're walking around, we're trying to say hi, doing everything we can, because this is supposed to be relational. It's not religious. And it's how we walk together. And before we dive into this sermon, keep in mind that the number one was shifting lives into the kingdom of God. People that knew about God but didn't know him. How many people in the workplace that you and I are around, in the marketplace or in the neighborhood, they know about Jesus. But they're like that, that man in Bodhi's book that said, I don't care what the Bible says, and snip, cut the cord of the plumb line in his life. And so I'm not saying that God judged him and sent him to hell. That's not what I'm saying. But I know that there's something in you to come on a rainy day and to come on a day when you could easily stay home and Light a good fire, whether they'll let you have a wood fire or now if you only have gas, and then one day they're going to cut the gas off, okay? But you chose to come together because you understand instinctively that our mission is not to go to church. It's not the mission. The mission is to go to church, to grow, to be the church, to be living stones, plumbed by the Scriptures, living our lives, not perfectly, but with integrity. So now, when you hear this, people knew about God when you're going to hear this sermon. And I'm going to read it very quickly, and we're not going to get through all of it. But people knew about God, but now something is beginning to plumb their lives. So go to Acts, and in Acts chapter 3, okay? In Acts chapter 3, um, Paul was, uh, Peter was really, really ready to jump on it. And um, in uh, chapter 3, and what are we doing? Let's go to verse, where do we want to go? Let's go to verse 10. Are you ready? You going to follow me? Okay. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the gate. Now, remember what's just happened. Peter's already preached the first sermon. He's going back to church that day. Now, listen to what I'm going to say. He's going back to church that day and sitting in church outside the gate, but considered a part of the temple, is a man who'd never walked in his entire life. He was carried there every day. He ate, he slept, and he went to the bathroom right there. And then at night, they'd take him home. And they'd bring him back every day. And Peter and John had gone back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, gone to church every day, gone to church every day, gone to, they're walking by this guy. 
And Peter gets a snoot full of the Holy Ghost. And he's walking by the guy, and he stops, and he looks at John. And I'm sure John's going, Peter, what, what are you going to do? Peter's going, look, he can't walk. I know he can't walk, Peter. That's the way he was born, or whatever the case is. He can't walk. He goes, I'm going to lay hands on him. I can imagine John going, oh, hey, hey. Okay, um, well, what are you going to do? I'm going to lay hands on him. Okay. So they reach out, and they pull the guy up. His legs are instantly restored to normal. The guy starts spinning and yelling and screaming, and, and Peter and John figure, okay, we're gonna, now we're going to go to church. And the guy beats him in. And he's stinking the place up. He's celebrating and he's worshiping when everybody else is going, shh, shh, be quiet, be quiet, be, shh, be quiet. Let me tell you what, this church isn't Pentecostal anymore. Every once in a while, somebody ought to just let rip with a hallelujah. You know what, because, I, what was that? That sounded like a belch to me. <laughs> But you understand that it's not that we'd be crazy. It's, it's not that they, they, they did something just to make a scene. It's just they were full of Jesus, and they were full of excitement, and they were excited about Jesus. They loved him, and they wanted people to know, and they couldn't keep their mouths shut. But in the church in America, we've got the plumbing because we no longer see this as orders. We see it as suggestions. You pick and choose what you want to do. And listen, if there's something in this that you don't want to do, that's okay. You're going to be just a little crooked, but nobody will notice. Are you with me? Now, I know what's going to happen. People are going to go say, you're just too harsh. You sound like a Pharisee. And if you understand that this is not about being self-righteous or condemning anyone, I am never going to get to this sermon. Holy sweet Jesus. Uh, I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. Okay, here we go. Oh, where am I in? Verse um, chapter 3, let's start verse 10. Follow along. I promise I'll finish in seven minutes. Okay. If you believe that, I've got beachfront property in Kansas. Okay. Um, verse 10. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms. This is about the guy who they just healed. At the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. How many of you know we need this in Hemet? We need some signs and wonders that are causing people to go, what the hallelujah chorus was that? Listen to this. The beautiful gate. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him, and as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John. Notice it says held Peter and John, constrained them. He said, you aren't going to church without me. You get that? Watch what it says. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's 
greatly wondering. And when Peter saw it, now watch what's going to happen. He answered unto the people, sermon number two. Listen to what he's going to do. Unprepared, unsolicited, no notes, no media, nothing. Listen to what he says. Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye? Or why look ye so earnest on us as though our own power and holiness that we've done this thing, made this man walk? This is why you're looking at us. It isn't us. It isn't me. It's the power of the presence, Peter says in John, it's the power and the presence of the living God. And where are, let me ask you, somebody tell me, where are they at when this happens? Outside, but in the temple gate. They're at church. I would propose to you that what God is getting ready to do to those churches in America that are willing, and I can tell you, there's a number of churches in this valley that are cranking up for this. We are waiting to see signs and wonders of the New Testament introduced back into the church where the church is no longer an entertainment center, but a place where you encounter the spirit of the living God. He goes on to say, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the God of our fathers, which has glorified his son, Jesus, whom you, now listen to what he does. He's talking to the people that had Jesus crucified. Listen to what he says. I mean, this, this, they're going bold. This is not the church in America because the church in America won't do this unless it's people like you. Now listen to what he says as though our own power and holiness have made this man walk, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered and you denied. Listen to me. I believe that we're about to see a move of God on all of, I, I'm not so, I can't say all, so many of those around us that don't believe and think we're crazy. I believe there's a, it's no longer, it's, jeez, oh my golly, I'm going to get myself in trouble. It's no longer you're going to have to come to church to get saved. We're going to suck you up into the kingdom of God out there in the workplace, in the marketplace. We're going to do it out in the open, and we're not going to hide in church, doing church. We're going to take church to the streets. Okay, almost. Then he says, Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Listen to what he says. I love this. Man, I could spend another hour here, but I promise I won't. Verse 13. Don't worry, your roast won't burn. It's already toast. Okay. <laughs> Verse 13. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up, and you denied in the presence of Pilate, whom uh, he was determined to let him go, but you denied the Holy One and the Just One and desired a murder to be granted unto you. Listen to what he's doing. He's calling them out. He's calling out like we need to call out the church in America. He's saying to them, you've been silent, you've been quiet, you've let your religious MO 
run the show, and Jesus came into this world to kick religious religion out and bring the kingdom of God in power and in grace and in mercy. And he goes on. But you denied the Holy One and just and desired a murder to be granted unto you and killed, through your religion, killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead, wherefore we are witnesses and we will not be silent. They were bold about Jesus. They weren't cautious. Some of you are looking at me like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on just a minute. Wait a minute. Are you telling me that, that I'm obligated to do this? Finally got one right. <laughs> There's a sense of obligation. Now, I'm going to finish with this because the, the, the sermon he preaches, absolutely incredible. I can't start it right now. We don't have the time, but I'm going to say this. The day of going to church and not being the church is coming to an end in America. If and when they choose to close church buildings, they will never be able to shut down the church of Jesus Christ, who's built of living stones, plumbed according to the scripture, and will not compromise what God's word says. And you can tell us we're self-righteous. You can tell us we're judgmental, but we are biblical and we're going to live the biblical lifestyle in Jesus' name. Give him a praise. Lord Jesus, that you would help us as we today, we read your word, and your word is not supposed to always be encouraging. Sometimes it just needs to pin our ears back and say to us in grace and in love and in mercy, Bob, Susan, everyone else that's listening, one day, we're going to stand before the living Word of God and answer for plumb. Let me ask you this question. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Do you know Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Do you know where you're going when you die? Do you, you know, you, maybe you're one of those that said, well, you know, I just, Jesus is too hard. He's not too hard. Sometimes he's almost too easy. It's just too easy. All you have to do is, it's just simple. It's so easy. If you don't know where you're going when you die, it's not hard to know how to know. You just admit you don't know and you want to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And you want to live for him. You want him to take away the, the anger or the frustration or the worry or the doubt. And he wants you to know himself. And all you have to do is be willing to say, I want Jesus. Come into my life. And in a manner of speaking, forgive me, do to me what you did to Bob. Make yourself real. If you don't know where you're going when you die, then you know about Jesus, but you've not received him.
He needs to go 18 inches from your forehead to your heart. If you don't know where you're going when you die today, and you want to know, you want to say, listen, I want to give up everything to live for Jesus. Put your hand up. Put it up. Let me see it. Don't miss this chance. Don't miss this opportunity. And if I can't see you, oh, and then you wave your hand at me. I'm not going to pressure it anymore. But don't miss this opportunity to know how much he loves you and he cares for you and he's forgiven you of all of your sins. Count of three. One, two, three. Church, would you look up? Guess what? This is your family, God's family, and we're going into a community and into a world that is spinning out of control. They're crazy. They're nuts. I don't know what they're smoking, man, but it's really strong, okay? And, and, and it's going to get crazier, but while they get crazier, the church is going to become more loving, more caring, and more concerned. Amen? Would you stand? Listen, as, um, as we close today, um, there are going to be people up here on this side of the line. And if you need prayer for anything, there's something that needs to take place in your life. You, you need a financial miracle. You need a physical miracle, whatever the case is. The Bible says if any two comes together and agree, what happens? It'll be done. What you need to do is agree, okay? So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to serve you today in this manner and in this way. Please, Lord Jesus, help us show people how much you love them. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. We love you. God bless you.